Mac Power Users, episode 101, Mountain Lion. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks. You know, Katie, it's hard for me to get used to calling this episode 101. There's three digits now. <laughs> there are three digits. It's hard. Yeah. But great show, of, though. It was a great show. Show 100. And we've gotten so many emails, so many tweets, so many comments. Thank you. It's just been such a huge outpouring. Thank you. It seems like just yesterday that we announced on Twitter we were doing a show together. Did we announce Re- it on Twitter? I yeah, guess. it I don't came know. out and everybody's like, oh, a new new podcast. Good luck. We had a lot of outpouring of support even before we started, but it's, it's really great. And um, I really love all the listeners that have found us in the last couple of years. I mean, there were some people, that, the diehards that have been with us since the beginning, but there's an equal number of people who have discovered us along the way. And that's really great. And the thing that I got out of episode 100 is just how smart the people that listen to our show are. I mean, that was just a sampling. There were a lot of really great submittals. And we're going to be doing some workflow shows with um, some of those listeners in the future because there's just a lot of great content to share. Absolutely. Absolutely. But anyway, uh, we are a little slow. Right, because Mountain Lion came out. What was it? A month ago. Now it was. we're recording this. Yeah. So yeah. we initially had planned on on doing a show about Mountain Lion when it came out, but there was this initial blitzkrieg of information about the operating system, and this show is not intended to be a review. If you want to hear a review of Mountain Lion, I would recommend reading the Syracusa review, John Syracusa's review over at Ars Technica, or listen also, to like the last four episodes of Hypercritical. Yeah, and it's something like eight hours of content, you know, because John is really smart and and frankly. There's only one review I read of every Mac operating system, you know, update, and it's John's because he's been there since the very beginning, and he's got this perspective about the whole thing that you really can't match. And uh, I just think he's awesome, but that's just me. He's yeah, also go, a former. Go grab it in the Kindle con- content, and so you can get it all nicely formatted and put it on your iPad with the Kindle Reader app, and get a nice, comfy chair and a cup of coffee, and relax for did, forty-five did you- minutes to an hour or so, and just great way to spend a Sunday morning. Did you do it that way? That's how I did it. So you have to admit, I, I just read it off the web this time, last time I bought it for the Kindle, and uh, I'm feeling guilty because, you know, I don't think John makes any money when I just read it off the web. But I, I actually preferred reading it on the web. But I will buy him a beer if we are ever in the same town. I will buy him two beers. Okay, so getting back to the point, this show is not a review of Mountain Lion. We're not going to be uh, looking at it from that perspective, but instead we're going to look at it from the perspective of users and in particular power users and saying, okay, we've got this new operating system. Let's kick the tires and figure out how it can make us more efficient. And uh, so let's get started. Let's do it. Yeah. First place to start is really in the finder. That's that's where it all starts. Yeah, right. Uh, The finder that never seems to change much. But this time it is a little different, right? Yeah. I like the, uh, when you move a file now, it gives you a little status bar, a progress bar right on the icon. Have you noticed Isn't that? Isn't that nice? I like, I yeah. moved a, a big file recently and I saw a little indicator light and I, I like that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Another thing I like, uh, an improvement in the finder people don't realize is there is command D. Have you tried that out yet? It is. It's a little, it's a little windowies if I can say that. Well, that started in Lion. So to get back, right, one of the digs against Mac from Windows people, I think justifiably, has been the inability to move files with keyboard shortcuts. Because on Windows, you hit, what is it, Control-C and Control-V to copy and paste Yeah, you basically copy and paste it, right. 
Yeah, and uh, Control X, I believe, is cut and paste on Windows, which is a great feature. And for a long time, it didn't exist on on the Mac operating system. And, and let's be clear, that can be dangerous because if you cut a file, mean to move it somewhere else and get distracted. Uh oh. Yeah, and then you go cut something else or copy something else, you clear your buffer, and it is gone. So yeah. maybe that's why they never put it on the Mac. But Mac makes it more difficult. Uh, to copy, it's Command-C. To paste, it's Command-V. To c- cut and paste. What? Control. Oh, Command. No, right. no. Ma- yeah, Where are you I'm talking sorry. about? I thought you were talking about the PC. I'm sorry. We don't talk about the PC. We're okay, talking about I the thought Mac you were talking now. about the okay, PC so earlier. On the, on the Mac, it's Command-C, Command-V to copy yes. and paste a file. Um, I believe it's option command V will move a file. Did you know that one? Yes. Yep. Okay. Uh, but in mountain line, now command D will duplicate a file, which is nice. I it use is. that a lot. I do. So, all right. You know, you can also right click on it. Yeah, you can do all that too, but I don't want to take my fingers off the keyboard. You wouldn't. That's right. Yeah. The faster, so, the better. <laughs> that's true. So what else are you liking about the new finder or, Obviously, one of the biggest changes was the notification center. Yeah, well, that's not really Finder thing. That's that's like a whole new feature, right? You want to talk about that? We can talk about it, unless you got any more little tweaks in the Finder. Not really, not really. Okay. Well, I tell you, notification center is is it, it was something that I thought was a little gimmicky at first, and I'm not really going to use this. It saved my bacon the other day. You know how when, oh, really? you, when you go to the dentist and you get your teeth cleaned and they set up an appointment for you six months later to get your teeth cleaned again and you stick it in your iPhone and you never think about it again? Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about it. And okay. for just some reason, I popped open Notification Center at like 9 o'clock one night. And what do you know? I had a dentist appointment at 7 a.m. the next morning. It was there. Yeah, isn't that nice? So it's really the, uh, the growl ripoff. It is. And for whatever reason, I didn't set it to alert me. Obviously, when I created the appointment, but I was just in notification center for something else, and it reminded me, hey, tomorrow you've got a dentist appointment at 7 a.m., and I was just, oh my gosh, I've got to set my alarm for earlier and get up and go and do all this other stuff. Okay, so and we're diving into the details. I, I, pr- I presume everybody knows about this stuff. Uh, so if on iOS they added, I think it was iOS 5, they added notification center. Right, which they kind of ripped off of Android a little bit, if if I can say that, on the show. Yeah, it works, it works very similar, right? Uh, so on Android, they had the notifications where you pull down from the top and it gave them to you. And, and we have a similar thing now on iOS. And Apple said, hey, why not? Let's put that on the Mac, too. And, I, you know, who knows how long this stuff has been in development. But the way it works on the Mac is you use, like, one of the tricks for notification there is the two-finger drag. So you can take two fingers off the edge of your trackpad or your... Um, What's what do you call that third part? That magic Apple's trackpad. Magic trackpad, exactly. Or so the either magic on your mouse, I guess. Yeah, magic trackpad. I guess it works on the mouse too. Now that I think about it, I haven't tested that. Let's no, see I, here. I've I'm, never liked the magic mouse. Yeah, I, uh, I tell you, it, it's it's a lot more natural movement to me coming off the trackpad and back on 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 an actual on my MacBook Air. It's a weird. I cannot get used to that movement on the actual magic trackpad. Something about being off and being back on. Eh. Yeah, that's not that's not a problem for me. I just tested it. It doesn't work on the Magic Mouse. So, but two finger drag. I got ahead of myself. Two finger drag off the edge of the Magic Trackpad or the trackpad on your laptop opens Notification Center, or you can just click on the little bulleted list in the far right corner, top far right corner of your menu bar. So that's a uh, that has supplanted the the. Um, 
Bro. I, w- I want to say, no, it's a planted Sherlock, but it's not called Sherlock. <laughs> Watson? No. No, Spotlight. 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 Yeah. Oh, man. I am getting old. I don't know. All right. So anyway, it's a planted the spotlight is taking the far right corner of the menu bar item. But if you go two fingers and slide over, it opens up the uh, it opens up notification center and that gives you some really great notifications. Uh, my first advice about uh, notification center is use it sparingly. In fact, in the outline, I wrote that three times because it gets crazy. It's just like on your phone when you get all these notifications. If you get too many notifications, you don't listen to any of them. You're much right. better widowing that. Uh, whittling that list down see this is what happens when we record a show after a day in court i i just am a mess you know i should like drink alcohol first or something but so you want to you want to cut that list down so you've just got the stuff on there that really matters to you because if not when the dentist appointment shows up you're not going to pay attention to it because it's going to be throwing notifications at you for a whole bunch of stuff right and the way that you can whittle that list down is if you go into the system preferences there's now a new system preference pane for notifications and you'll see that by default Several things are set up in there. And maybe you don't want, like, Game Center. I I am never, ever, ever going to use Game Center. So I just went in there and turned every single notification for Game Center off. Now, there's some things that I do want notifications for, like calendar notifications. So I turned on, I wanted actual alerts for calendar notifications so I don't miss that dentist appointment. So I actually turned on the alerts for, now there are a couple of different categories. So you can say none, which means that it just shows up in notification center and doesn't pop up the little, is it called a bubble? What are we calling it? I don't know. Well, there's there's the banner. The banner. Well, the little thing that's in the upper upper left hand, upper right hand corner of the screen. Now the banner is something that pops up, stays up for a few seconds and then goes away. Right. And then the alert will pop up until you actually do something with it. Yeah. I, I just have, can I go back for a second? Have you okay. ever played computer games at all? Lunar Lander. Does that count? No, it doesn't. <sighs> Is that it? I'm just curious. I think it's a guy thing. Monopoly? Because I played, I played computer games. I used to, I used to be really into it and I, I just don't have time anymore. But I think if I had time, I'd still like to play them once in a while. I was never into, and I was never into video games like console gaming either. I just, I just missed that. Uh, you know, I was already, yeah. I was already like in late middle school, early high school by the time console gaming even became popular. Well, it's interesting. My daughters, they love to play like the dance games, like stuff like that. But and see, I was already you know, in college by the time those came out. I take it back. We we do play a Call of Duty once in a while. Yeah, yeah. My All brother right, anyway. loves them. He's about five years younger than me, but I don't know. Maybe it's a guy thing. <laughs> I got a text message from my oldest saying, can I shoot you tonight? And I wrote back. I said, did you clean your room? She said, yeah. I said, okay. <laughs> and that's how we play Call of Duty. Anyway. Okay. Right. Sorry. I just, little side. I, I was trying to imagine Katie Floyd playing video games and it just didn't compute for me. I was so pretty I awesome at Lunar Lander. All right. That doesn't count, I told you already. So, so when you install uh, some apps, they also join the notification center. Like the TweetBot, I've got the alpha right mm-hmm. now. The, For now, the sa- you do. The sacred, secret TweetBot alpha. And uh, it's, it's there. Google Chrome is there. So you can see some third-party apps there. Uh, Reminders is there. That's an Apple app. So you can, you've got um, the ability to plug into that as a third-party developer. Uh, I think you I guess have the, the ability qu- to plug into that if you're in the App Store. Is that correct? Um, I don't know. Did I download Google Chrome? Oh, no, you know what? no, that because be tr- that can't be true. Because you're right. Google ne- neither Google Chrome or Tweetbot is in the App Store. Yeah. So 
So that's good. That's an open thing. People can get into it. Has this supplanted uh, growl in your life? Um, no, I still use it in conjunction with growl. In yeah. fact, you can, and I'll, if I find the link, I'll throw it in the show notes. But somebody has come up with a growl. Is it called a skin? Is that what they're called? And a growl interface where all of a sudden it, it will, the growl notification will look identical to the uh, mountain lion notification. Yeah. And I thought I read somewhere that growl was trying to figure a way to plug its stuff into the notification center so it could deliver growl notices to the um, notification center. They're working on yeah. that with a future version. Yeah. So Yeah, okay. Well, I don't see why they couldn't if this is open enough. If Apple lets them, why not? Yeah. I mean, yeah. what does Apple care that we're sending additional notifications? Although, to admit, uh, I never really use growl much. I find it helpful. I like yeah. it. But, but it, again, it's one of those things you can really overuse, and all of a sudden you've got stuff popping at you from, from everywhere. Yeah. So some additional tips with Notification Center. If you take two fingers and pull down, it shows you a switch to turn it off, mm. which is really good. And that, I believe, turns it off just for the remainder of that day. Correct. And then just for the, the day. next day it'll resume. Um, I did some testing with it uh, because I was kind of panicked. I had to give a presentation and I didn't want it to... Uh, to start firing off notifications. I know I can just turn it off, but you know, I know inevitably I'm going to forget to do that and be in front of a jury or something, you know, and I'll choose that moment to text message you something obscene. Yeah, exactly. You know? And, uh, so I'm not worried about you as much as some of my other friends, frankly, but anyway, or uh, can I shoot you tonight? Yeah. uh, So exactly. So I, um, I did a, uh, I, I ran a keynote and then I sent some, some notification type messages and it didn't uh, trigger. So I believe at least on my preliminary tests here that when you're running a keynote presentation, that notification center uh, silences itself. Yeah. I think I, I, I think I remember actually reading that somewhere too, is that when you're connected to a, uh, a, a projector, but I'm not sure how it knows the difference between a projector and just an external display. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I only tested it that way. So, well, I guess we'll find out. We'll find out, but the uh, but because I'm I think connected be... to an external display all the time. Now I'm connected to an Apple external display, and, and yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of manic about that anyway. Whenever I'm going to give a presentation about shutting down just about every app that you know I possibly can, and menu bar and everything else. Well, have you considered setting up a new user account just for presentations that has like nothing installed on it and nothing that's that's available well, to I... use notification? I don't think it's necessary. I've I've never had a problem with it doing something funny, but I am, like I said, manic about making sure everything's done. And so often I'm, you know, making changes to a presentation as I lead up to it. And I'm, I might be grabbing images online or grabbing files from the office server or something. If I have to set up a different user account, I, I'm not going to have all the tools that I'm used to. You know, I'm going to start doing launch right. bar key combinations that aren't going to work. And it's just, I think I'm in more trouble that way. And, and to be honest, even though this keynote test worked, I'm still going to be turning it off every time I give a presentation on it. Right. Yeah. Just add that to now, your pre-flight. Yeah. And then you, you said that you didn't care much for the, uh, the way the snooze works, right? You know, that is one of my gripes now is that I don't know if this was a change to notif- because of notification center or if this was a change in the, Oh, I got to get this right. Calendar apps. I cannot get over changing it from calendars to iCal or iCal to calendar in my head. Every time I go to launch launch bar, I type in iCal. 
and I end, get, end up getting some interest calculator that's in my bookmarks. It's such a pain. But um, I should probably find a way to change that. No, used, just go with it. You'll learn. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I used to be able to, if I got a calendar, if I got a pop-up, like say my dentist appointment, I got a notification 24 hours in advance, I would be able to snooze it to, you know, I don't know, an hour before, five minutes before. You know how you could snooze notifications for a certain period yeah. of time? Yeah. Now you can't. You can just hit snooze, and it will snooze it for, I don't know what the default snooze is, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, yeah. and then it comes right back up. You can't set the duration of how long you snooze anymore. <sighs> snooze buttons for suckers. You don't have to want to do that. Just just get up and do it. If you put an alarm there, that means you need to do something. No, more. it's more like it, it reminds me for things that are tomorrow. Oh, Gotcha. Yeah, okay. like it reminds me 24 hours in advance of my dentist appointment tomorrow. Yeah. I don't need to be reminded at 7 a.m. today that my dentist appointment is at 7 a.m. tomorrow. I need to be reminded at 7 p.m. You know, tonight when I'm getting ready for the next day. Now, are you doing that in your um, – are you creating those reminders? I must have – I don't know. See, I, I'm not getting reminders like that. Maybe I created them at some point when I initially set up the uh, – the the calendar appointment, or maybe it was set up by default. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm gr- alerts are great. Alerts are the uh, the alarms you attach to a calendar item, and I use those all the time. Like if I've got a meeting with someone and I know I need to prepare for it, I'll figure out how much time I need to prepare, and like fifteen or thirty minutes beforehand, I'll have an alarm for that. Then I'll have another alarm that goes off like two minutes before I make the call, and uh, then when I call the guy exactly at the time designated, it it's great. It's great. You know, they know that you're on top of stuff, right? You got it happening. Right. I, I'm such a weirdo. <laughs> Anything else on Notification Center we need to talk about? Um, no. I think it's great, but use it sparingly. Okay. You know, go in, take, take five minutes and go in there right now. Just set it up. Turn off the stuff you don't need alarms for, like Katie, get rid of that Game Center uh, if your calendar is important to you, add additional alarms. You know, but, but set it up the way you want it, and you'll really come to love it. I think it's a, I think it's a nice addition. Right. Two thumbs up. I do. I do like Notification Center. Yeah. I, I like that it supplanted Spotlight because, candidly, is it just me or has Spotlight gotten a lot weaker in Mountain Lion? Uh, why do you say that? I don't see okay. it's any different. All right. Well, here's something. So when you go search for a document that you know is on your computer, it will show you a list of potential documents, right? Yeah. Now, I believe, and maybe this is a couple of versions of the OS back, because, you know, I use LaunchBar primarily and not Spotlight, but I seem to recall that it used to show you when you hovered over it or you hit option or something and hovered over it, it would show you the path to the file so that you didn't have to open the window to show you where it is. Sometimes I just want to know where it is. I don't want to open it. I just want to know where it is. And in order to do that, you have to open reveal and finder and then open and closing folder. Now, if you hover over something in Spotlight, it will show you a quick look of it, which is handy, but n- sometimes not what I want to do. If you hold down the command key and click on that file, mm-hmm. it opens the enclosing folder. Okay. But that maybe, I just, maybe I just want to see the path to it. I don't know. There must be a way to do that. I'm sure we'll hear about it. I'm sure. Send us, a, send us an email, feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. And and I know if you show, you know, if you click on the, you know, show this, and then it will show you the whole path. But, you know, I just want to be able to see it from Spotlight to see the whole path. 
Yeah, I, I have to admit as well, I don't use Spotlight very much because mm-hmm. I use LaunchBar for so much. But I, I like the little preview image. I think that's kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. And that may be Lion. I think that happened in Lion. It may have. I don't use it that often, as I said. Okay. Hey, let's talk about a sponsor. Yeah, let's talk about our first sponsor, and that is 1Password. So you know how I love me my 1Password. Yeah. Who doesn't? So 1Password is the application that everybody is using this. If you're listening to this podcast and you don't have 1Password installed, hit the pause button right now. Go over to onepassword.com, learn more about it, or better yet, just go to the Mac App Store right now and download it and click a little button and it will be available for all of your computers that you have connected to your Mac App Store account and you can thank me later. But basically what 1Password does, and there's no basically about it because it does this and a whole lot more, but it allows you to create strong, unique passwords on all of your websites that it remembers, so you don't have to remember it. All you have to do is remember the one password. And then you don't have to have that problem where you use the same password over and over and over again across multiple websites. We just had a, I just had this conversation with my secretary. I, I played a bad little joke on her. I was kind of a mean person. But I was sitting at her computer doing something, and I realized that she had all of her passwords written down on a Post-it note stuck to her monitor. And they were almost all the same. They were all like variations of the same word. Like, you know, depending on if it made you use a letter or a number or an uppercase or a lowercase. Yeah. So I might have taken the post-it note. Well, why would you do that? So did you tell her? I mean. I just wait to see if she knew it was missing. You giving her some tough love? I was giving her some tough love. Yeah. And and she freaked out the next morning. I mean, I didn't re- destroy the post-it note. And yeah. I just said, "We got to have a conversation about passwords. You know, what if somebody took this and, you know, they had all of your passwords. They could get into all of your accounts and I bet this password is the same password that you use for your bank account or a variation thereof or I bet this is the yeah. same, you know." And we just went all out and I told her, you know, I said, "You can't do this." I said, "You've got to use different passwords across all of your devices." And she's like, well, it's so hard. I can't do it. And I said, well, let me explain to you how you can do this. And I yeah. introduced her to 1Password because it is so dangerous to use the same password out there across multiple accounts. So yeah, we'll just pa- think the cleaning people come through there every night. If they you know, yeah. wanted to, they could write all that stuff down. Yeah. And I said, and especially when you're doing it for my stuff, I mean, because she creates stuff for me that she's creating accounts for. Uh-uh. She's not creating any more passwords for me that way. Yeah. So, anyway, so, you, did you sign her up on one password? I, I showed her all about it. We'll see if she actually uses it. But any password that she gets for me gets a you know she gets a nice little twenty character hexadecimal number. That see how that fits on your post-it note. Yeah, no. it's a, it's a great application, and you know there's some things about it that that just constantly amaze me, like the go and fill feature, where you can go and fill in a login and. And do everything from within the app. And now I'm talking about the iPad app, frankly, is where I use that so often. I've got some secure websites I have to log into to check things for work and other things. And in the 1Password app, you open, you know, first you unlock the app, then you go to the login in 1Password. And there's a little right-facing arrow in a circle there. And you just tap that button. And 1Password on the iPad, and it works the same on the iPhone, has a little browser built in, opens the built-in browser 
goes to the website, fills in your user account and your password, which is going to be a very good secure password, and logs you in. And for most websites I need to get into, that works just fine. I don't need the full, you know, Monty iOS Safari. It works just great in one password and gets me the data I need with just one tap. And it's still a secure location. So when I turn that iPad off, the next person that turns it on will not get to that website unless they get my super secret one password entry. I'm guessing Uh, that's not happening. Yeah, exactly. So it's just fantastic application. And and it really is an application that serves the needs of the modern era because we're getting more and more invested in this cloud. We've all heard these stories about these terrible things happening to people. And, um, and you know, Agile Bits is, is on the vanguard of protecting us. So, you know, be smart, get this stuff and use it. And don't just use it for yourself. You know, the people that you love or the people that, as Katie was talking about, have control of your data. Make sure they're using it, too. It's, it's a good investment. Yeah. And you can find more information about 1Password at their website, onepassword.com. It's available in the Mac App Store for $49.99, and 1Password is everywhere. It syncs via Dropbox, which means it works on Windows, too. They have a Windows version. So if you need the Mac and Windows version, it's $69.99 on their website. If you have an iOS device, as David said, they've got that covered. You can get a Pro version in the Mac Apps, I'm sorry, in the iOS App Store for $14.99, or a single version for either the iPad or the iPhone for $9.99. And if you purchase something through the Agile Bits website, you can save 20% using the link on our website. So thanks to 1Password for their support of our show. Okay, let's talk about this AirPlay mirroring. Have you been using this? I have been using the heck out of AirPlay mirroring. You know, I'm a cable cutter. Yeah, that's right. Uh That's right. So this is really useful. Now, AirPlay mirroring is the feature that lets you send your desktop and anything on your Mac directly to your Apple TV. And there was an application before uh, Mount Blank came out. Called Air, I think it's called Air Parrot, uh, I believe. Yeah, Air and, Parrot. Uh, and so you could, and I bought it because it was just so useful. I used it like in meetings at the office because we have an Apple TV there. Uh, but now it's built right into the OS, which I think makes it even better. Um, right. I haven't used Air Parrot a- since, since Mountain Lion came out. And and if you don't have a Mac that will support AirPlay mirroring on Mountain Lion, because it is only newer Macs with newer processors, or maybe it's the graphics card that's what what's the X factor there. AirPaired is still a great solution. I think it's only like ten fifteen bucks. We should put the link yeah. in the show notes for. I already got it. Yeah, for a reasonable license. So that that's a great option too. But you yeah, know, ten bucks. Ten bucks. I bought a Mac Mini with the. Now, I've, as you know, we've covered this on the show elsewhere. I've, I, what I've ended up doing is using my Mac Mini more as a home server than I have as a media center. But I originally bought the Mac Mini with the intention of using it as a home media center when I cut my cable because there are shows that I watch on Hulu, there are shows that I watch through the various network websites, and I can't do that through an Apple TV because that content's not available through an Apple TV or through my antenna or through my TiVo. And... Had this feature been available, or perhaps had I done my research better and been aware of Mac Parrot, um, or you know what, I don't think I don't think the current version of Apple TV was available that I could have streamed to at that point. I may not have bought that media center, but I'm able to watch yeah. Hulu. I'm able to watch stuff off of the network websites and just throw it to my Apple TV. And it's a lot. I mean, not that the using the Mac Mini by any means is hard, but if you've got your Apple, you know, your MacBook Air in your lap anyway, you know. Throw it there. Or on, or on the kitchen table. So right. uh, on the iPad, and boy, I, I could be wrong about this because I'm not a Hulu subscriber. 
But if you have oh, the Hulu, I've just if you have the Hulu app and you subscribe, I believe at least I've read that you cannot send from the iPad directly. You can't do the air sharing correct from the iPad to the Apple TV, but they can't control that on the on the Mac. So that is correct. You can share Hulu, and and you've tested that. That is correct, and and I am actually not a Hulu Plus subscriber because and and this is ridiculous. So many of the shows that I watch on Hulu are available on free Hulu, but not on Hulu Plus. Yeah. So it's actually to my advantage to get them off of the free Hulu and just watch them through my Mac. Yeah. So that's a really great feature. And we just got back from vacation. So I uh, I took my GoPro and uh, had a really good time. If you ever want to have fun, attach a GoPro to yourself before you go zip lining. Oh, dear. And it... You get some great video. I got all this video of like my legs sticking up in the air, you know, because we were going upside down doing all these tricks and uh, or or like do a flip on a zip line with a GoPro on it. It looks like you're falling. It's pretty great. But so we had a lot of fun sharing it as we had some family come over. And and I said, great opportunity to try this feature out. And so I just, you know, I've got the video on my desktop because I haven't got all the vacation video processed yet. But I just had the raw video opened it up in QuickTime, hit the air sharing button or airplay mirroring button and had it on the Apple TV. And we had a really great time. It sends the audio too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just Apple being Apple. You know, when you get a lot of their products in the same house, they tend to magnify each other's, you know, abilities. And this is a great example of that technology. I love it. Yeah, I think this is going to sell a lot of Apple TVs. Yeah, it's just... I'm it's, sure that was their intent. Well, it's very useful. And once again, I guess if we were John Syracuse talking about the theme, the theme is the further integration of the whole platform, you know, the Apple ecosystem. And this is another example of that. This is a feature that showed up on the phone and the iPad, and now it's on the Mac. Another useful uh, trick for this if in business is if you are at giving a you know, presentation or something and you want to jump between presenting from your Mac and showing video from your iPad, um, there's an app by the same people who made Air Parrot called Reflections. Excellent, excellent app. Yeah, I in fact, use it I, I used it. Yeah, I use it too. When I screencast, that's how I do it. Um, and so Reflections can mirror, as long as you're on the same wireless network, can mirror your iPad to your Mac. So think about that for a second. So you're doing a presentation, you've got your Mac AirPlay mirroring up to uh, the Apple TV, and then you can just flip the bit for reflections and send up uh, the image on your Mac screen to the Apple TV through your Mac. Now, I know you can do it separately, but sometimes that requires switching between inputs. And, you know, as I say this, I haven't actually tested it, but I can't see why that wouldn't work. No, I don't see why not. Yeah. You just mean, when you say flip through inputs, you mean application switch? No, I mean that if you were going to have your... Oh, oh, have a Mac as one input and have the Apple TV as the other. Or the no? iPad as Oh, the another. iPad, yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess you could also have, you could jump on top of each other. You could have the, um, I believe, you know, I should, I should have tested this before we recorded, but I believe if, we, if you set the iPad to AirPlay sharing while the Mac is, it can take over the signal. But... Man, I'm just like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about this. You're gonna have somebody to t- try t- it and let us know. Yeah, I would definitely try it out before I gave a presentation with that uh, stuff. Okay, um, okay. So let's talk about some. So we're both thumbs up on AirPlay, Mary. Absolutely, another, another Absolutely. great feature. 
Okay, and now let's talk about autosave a little oh, oh, bit. Because the, the one thing I'll tell you I'm thumbs down about that's kind of related what? to AirPlay sharing. Can I go there? Yeah. But it's not really related to AirPlay sharing. When they put the AirPlay sharing button in the, it, that has become the default display button. You know how you got that in your menu bar? Yeah. Now you can't change your resolution in your menu bar. That's true. You'd have to open display preferences. And mm-hmm. and they frankly changed the and way. And they changed you, that. Yeah, the display preference pane is not as um, clear as it used to be. I was just talking to Eddie Smith on the phone the other day, you know, from Practically Efficient about screen resolutions. And he's like, I don't see where I can change it. And you, you ha- that's tricky. You go into the display preference pane, and then you click the scaled button. Right. And then, and then it you can opens, change it. And then it opens. So it's, it takes, where it used to take one click, now it takes one, two, three clicks to change the resolution. Right. Which gets kind of annoying. I don't know. Is there a way to uh, script that? There must be. I don't know, but I, ha- I had an issue when I was trying to present on a projector, and the projector wasn't reading me, and I had to change my. You know, it was a. You know, go in and change my settings and all this other stuff. And I wonder if there's pain. like an Apple script command you could run that would change the resolution. I'm if anybody sure knows, is. send me an I'm email. Sure because that would be nice. You could then you could build it into an Apple script and then run it through LaunchBar or your script, you know, fast scripts or whatever you do. And then you could change resolutions very, very quickly. Yeah, let me know anybody if you know about that. That that would be uh worth posting. I think that would be interesting. Okay. Okay, enough. Move on. Autosave changes. So the big change with autosave came with Lion. <laughs> Yeah, see, that's what you say. A lot of people feel that way. They really get annoyed with the whole thing. Yes. Um, so for the longest time, we had the save as. And and this, I, I listened to John Syracuse talk about this, and I've read what he's written about it, and I'm definitely in his camp on this. I think that the old way was not good. Um, you know, where you save, and then you save as, and you end up overriding something, or you don't have the file saved, and something goes wrong. I mean, there's... I could almost bet there's not a single person listening to this show who hasn't at some point lost a file. Whether who hasn't the, saved when they meant to save as? No, I mean, over the period of their computing history, hasn't somehow managed to push the wrong dialog box or something, lost hours of work. Yeah, I'm sure. Happens okay. all the time. Somebody opens up a file because, I mean, heck, probably happens weekly in my office. Somebody opens up a file because... Oh, I'm doing another pleading that's that's based very similarly on this. So I'm just going to open up this one, change the names, and modify everything, and then I'm going to save as. But instead of saving as, their muscle memory and they they hit the save key instead. Yeah. Or let's say they're just working on a brand new file. They're not using a source file, and they work on it for two hours, and all of a sudden, you know, nature calls or whatever, and they. Mm-hmm. They go to close it out and it says, hey, you haven't saved this. You want to save it? And they click no. Right. You know, just something, you know, the signal's crossed. And then it's gone. It's just gone. There's no recovery. Well, or, so, or the power flickers. Yeah. So and, and so Microsoft, I think, was ahead of the game with autosave. And sometimes and, it worked and sometimes it didn't. Yeah. And, and Apple was behind the game with iWork for years. I mean, they didn't have an autosave feature. So you were just completely hosed if that happened. And then lying comes along, and Apple says, you know what, we want to change this behavior. So we're going to autosave. It's part of the operating system. It gives you this great kind of time machine 
view of a document where you can go back and look at prior versions of the document so you can recover where it was a half hour ago. And I've, I've totally needed that because sometimes I, when I go on an editing frenzy, I start actually wrecking the document and I realize it later and I need to go back and kind of recover something. So, so Apple has created a system that's built into the operating system that creates an autosave, basically a versioning system into every document generation app. And, and that is a great addition to the operating system. And then on top of that, they have changed the, the way in which you, you deal with the save button. So, you know, you only see the save button once when you open a new document. I wrote an article about this for Macworld, uh, basically in favor of these changes, and I think I'm in the minority. A lot of the, the power users have, have publicly said that this sucks. But I think it's good. Because I think a lot of it is what you're used to. If you never had the Save As button, you'd, be, you'd love this. Yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, it's changed, though. So you save once, and then after that, the operating system is handling that save for you. And even before you press the Save button, it's already making backups for you. And then there's this issue for, you know, the save as button. And this is a workflow that people had really grown out of the problems with the prior system. Maybe it was the best thing about it, but it was, you know, it was a a solution where, like you were talking about in your office, if you have a new document you want to make from an old one, you would hit, um, what was it, shift command S, I believe was the keyboard shortcut. And it was the save as keyboard shortcut. So you would take an existing document, save it with a new name. And then you would be able to essentially spawn a new document from the work that had been prepared in the old document. And, f- and for the record, I strongly discourage this behavior because you were bound to screw this up. Yeah. So, and the problem I mean, would be so, what yeah, you need some, to do is you need to duplicate this document before you even open it. But yeah, because people don't do the, that. And the problem would be exactly like you described earlier. You work on it. You you spend two hours making a bunch of changes to the document, and then you hit. Command S, or you just hit the save button because of muscle muscle memory, and then that source document, which was really good, is now gone because you've replaced it with whatever you've done to it. And the next time you need that source document, it's not there. So the idea in Lion was you would duplicate the document at the beginning, and they even have a function there called duplicate. And and when you press that, then you start working from that. So that in essence was the save as. I think it takes an extra click when you figure it out. Um, but I, I was in favor of it. Um, so, so either way, uh, mountain lion shows up and they've tried to make it a little more user friendly. So there's a, there's a, a new feature. In fact, I should open there pages. Are a couple, so there are a couple new features actually. All right. You want to talk about it while I kind of get it going here so I can confirm I get this right. Yeah. There are a couple new features. First one that I overlooked until I was, I was reading, I think it was Syracuse's review is that if you go into system preferences and into general, there's a new checkbox there. Uh, it's kind of about two-thirds down the screen, and it says, ask to keep changes when closing documents. Because previously, let's, let's go back to Snow Leopard, when you had a pages document, let's say, and you were typing, 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 and you went to quit or you went to close it, there would be a dialog box that would pop up and say something to the effect of, you have unsaved changes in this document, do you want to save them? And... Most of the time you would click yes because, you know, you meant to save before you closed out. And sometimes if you said, no, these were garbage changes, I really don't want to keep them, you would say no and go back to the original document. So they brought that back with with Mountain Lion. And, and you have to actually turn that on in the general settings. 
the other change that they brought back is they kind of brought back save as, but it's it's not actually in the menu, right? Yeah. Yeah. So to get it, you need to hold down the option key with the file menu activated, and then you see save as. But there was a lot of um, uh, controversy, really, and I don't know if this was a bug. Now, as we're recording this podcast, 10.8.1 just came out. By the time you get it, it will have been out for about a week or so. Um, But there was a lot of controversy with the save as because people were finding out that you were likely to occasionally get data loss if you were using save as have you have you heard about this issue i've read about it but i haven't experienced it so in fact i think we need to explain this behavior a little bit more so now in snow i'm sorry okay. in mountain lion mountain lion if you if you hit the traditional save as keyboard combination command shift s it duplicates the file it doesn't save as Okay. okay, with me. I'm with you. So, so if you want to do the old-fashioned save as, and you've you know, and you're thinking, you open the source document, Shift Command S. You just made a copy of it. You've duplicated the file, and then you can close the source file and and go go nuts, right? Right. And it's and it's auto saving. It's giving you all those great features. The save as feature you get by either opening the file menu and holding on the Option key, or the keyboard command is. Shift Option Command S, mm-hmm. and when you do that, it opens the, the Save dialog box and lets you save as somewhere. Now, one of the issues that was popping up is that if you edit a document and then choose Save As, a problem appeared when both the edited original document and the copy are saved, which means you've just created that problem where you accidentally hit the Save button. Yeah, but then you've created the Save As. Now you do have the ability, however, to open the document if you if you click on the document up at the, at the top of the window and go you, back into versions. Yeah, you can go back and go to prior version to restore the source document, which was not something you could do before right. before Lion. So you can fix the boo boo, but in, in what world is that not a bug? I, how do, how else would you do it? I mean, I don't know what the solution is. I mean, if I save as. I I want what you said. I want to duplicate the document and create another one. And so I guess, yeah. So are you saying that you should take the source document back to the last save point? Correct. Okay. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think however you do it, people are not going to be happy. Mm -hmm. And it involves data loss. So I guess their theory was I'd rather keep the data there and give them the ability to browse back to the prior version than not keep the data there and have them lose it. Right. Now, apparently, if you have this ask to keep changes when closing documents enabled, you may not get this behavior. Yeah, because then you've got the option to say don't keep changes, and that would presumably on the source document wind it back to the last save point. Correct. Okay. So, I mean, it's just, it just seems like, it seems like there's far too much thought involved in how this is going to work. And I can't figure out if that's because we're overthinking it because we're so used to it being the other way. And really, this is a whole lot simpler. And if we could just unlearn everything that we've known for the last 20 years of the using computers, we'd be a whole lot happier. Or if this is just really convoluted. I think it's more of the former and a little bit of the latter. I think they could be more clear about what happens. I mean, just think about this. This save as trick we talked about, 
it's like four keys you got to press to make it happen or hit the file menu and hold the option key down. And they figure nobody's going to accidentally do that. Yes, but no, really, how many normal computer users are even going to know that exists? I mean, Apple's clearly looking, marching in the direction of saying duplicate a document and work from there. But it is tough when we've been wired for 20 years to do it some way differently, even if that way differently had some real downside to it. I mean, to me, the big deal is that, that you know, oh, bleep moment when you would close a document that wasn't saved. I mean, I don't want to ever have to do that again. And it happens to everybody, whether you're a sure. superpower user or somebody who barely knows how to use computers. It inevitably happens to everybody. And with this new system, that won't happen because it's always saving and you can go back and see the versions. Mm. Unless so you get that little checkbox checked. Maybe I'm an Apple fanboy. I don't know. But I, I think this is, they're trying to make it better. And I, I suspect this is going to continue to evolve a little bit. Right. Well, speaking about being an Apple fanboy, let's talk about an application that I never thought you would use, and that's Reminders. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, we've been touching on this journey throughout the feedback of the show for the last month or two. And um, and so Reminders has now, it's fully integrated. It's on the Mac now. It's Well, it's been there, but it's it's got the iCloud integration. It, it does some great stuff, right? Uh, Reminders first showed up as the, you know, long forgotten task application on the iPhone. And the task it was created for, you know, tracking your tasks is it's completely inadequate for 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 me. Right. You know, I love OmniFocus, you know, well documented that I use that to run my life. But there was this running list issue. And so I've I've been using a lot of different apps over the years for this. Sometimes at some point I just had an envy alt. I had a list of of lists and I still do for some things. But but then there's the types of checkoff lists that are really, you know, don't lend themselves to to an OmniFocus list. But they're still useful to me. Like, you know, I was making bratwurst over the weekend. I had to go to the market. I had to get my beer and my apples and my sauerkraut and all my, you know, so I had all these things I needed to buy. I'm not going to put that in OmniFocus. And Merlin makes a really good case for using OmniFocus when we did the show with him. Um, And, uh, yeah. And so his whole thing was, hey, you know, OmniFocus is really great at location aware. And not only is it location aware, it's like any location aware. So if you put in grocery store, OmniFocus will look at the grocery stores near you and say, hey, you know, you're out. There's a grocery store two blocks away and you need bratwurst, which is great. But, you know, I go to one grocery store. I I I do, too. I think Merlin travels a lot more than I do. I go to the grocery store that's between my house and my office. That's the only grocery store I go to. And and the way I use OmniFocus, you know, I like these start dates and I like having a very narrow task list. I don't want to see, you know, my bratwurst showing up on my OmniFocus list. And that's just me. So, so you're I, saying I try, bratwurst is beneath OmniFocus. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. I, I, yeah, I get it. Because so, you're using reminders now as I have used reminders and to a lesser degree other tasks app forever. I have I I have never kept my grocery list and things like that in OmniFocus because I just felt it was beneath it. Yeah, well well I was using an NVALT list and I still use NVALT with some lists like library books and things like that, but or books I want to read, but uh for things like the Home Depot and the grocery list, I had switched over reminders as soon as it showed up on iOS. And when it you know, it joined the party on the Mac, that's even better. And with iCloud now I can just get to it from anything. 
Um, and so I was using that when we recorded the show with Merlin and, you know, Merlin is so persuasive, right? So I, I tried to use OmniFocus for a while. It never really worked for me. I'm going to write this up. Maybe I'll even get it up as a post on the site before the show goes live. But, uh, so, so that wasn't really working OmniFocus. And then of course that new app comes out. Let me get my iPhone one second. Is it clear? Is that what you're talking about? No, not clear. It's 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 a location aware task. I've got it on here. I bought it. Let me just see what it's called again. I've got so many of these apps. Checkmark. Okay, and Checkmark's idea was, hey, you know, uh, you know that the problem, the gripe with reminders is that it's location aware, but it's location aware per item as opposed to per list. Right. So if I want to say, you know, I need bratwurst. To, you know, when I'm near the market, tell me, I have to attach that to the bratwurst item, as opposed to just saying, here's a list, attach this to this location, which is my market. And anytime there's anything on this list, and I'm near the market, tell me, hey, you need to go to the market and bratwurst is on your list. Did I make that clear? Yeah, but didn't we have a listener write in with a potential workaround for that? By yeah, just- yeah, okay. I'm going to get there. Okay. I'm going to get there. So, so, you know, the nice thing about this checkmark app is that the list has a location aware data attached to it as opposed to the item. Because if I put, you know, the location aware data on the bratwurst item and I go and I buy the bratwurst, then that is turned off. And the next time I go by the market, even though I've got milk on the list, it's not going to tell me unless I take the time to go and attach location aware to the milk. Right. Okay. Uh, so we heard from a listener, and I don't have the person's name right now, but if we I do a post on this, I will definitely reference you. Thank you very much. Uh, so who said, look, just put a um, a simple item in your reminders list for the market saying go to market or something like that and make that location aware and don't check it off. So every time you drive by the market, it's gonna that's going to go off. And I guess you could then turn it off later if you wanted. What if you don't have anything on your market list? Well, then you would have to check it off. Okay. Uh, and then you would have to re-add it or go back into the checked off items and uncheck, uncheck it. it. Um, so that's that's a nice way to make the location aware thing work without having to add a location aware to every single item on your list. And then I got thinking of so I tried that for a while and that was great. And I tried Checkmark, which was which was not a nice app, but the problem with Checkmark was two. Number one is. There's not an app on the iPad or the Mac, and I'm a multi-platform kind of fellow. You know, I'm always on different devices, and it occurs to me at the strangest moments that I need Bratwurst. So I want to be able to add it anywhere. And the other thing is is Siri. Uh, Siri is awesome on the iPhone. In fact, and soon to be iPad. So if you want to, if you have lists and reminders, here's a trick. Uh, you say, add Bratwurst to my grocery list. And that Siri will go into your reminders list, find the grocery list, and add bratwurst. That is so fast. I mean, I use it all the time. And then that trick, I did a video for Omni Group where the reminders list can feed straight into OmniFocus. So reminders is anything that goes into OmniFocus, and everything else has its own specific list, like shopping and things like that. I can say, you know, Siri, add Thunderbolt to FireWire connector to my Apple Store list. Siri will then add that. Then the next time I'm in the Apple store, I can open up my reminders app and say, what's what do I want to buy at the Apple store? And, oh yeah, I wanted to get one of those Thunderbolt to Firebolt, you know, uh, Thunderbolt. <laughs> Thunderbolt Katie, to Firewire. I, yeah, Katie, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. Have, have you considered anyway. a, uh, yeah, go ahead. 
I, I did wake up at four this morning, and we're recording this at six. So does that help? I it does know. help. It does help. I I came in very early to work, so I could be home to to bring the news to these listeners. Uh, so anyway, uh, so that that works really good. So when I'm driving down the road or just walking around and I think of something I need to add to a list, I can do it that way. And with the reminders um, list in in my um, reminders app, I can send stuff to OmniFocus just as easily. You know, uh, So you click Siri and you say, add, send Katie a note about next Mac Power User show to my reminders list. And it does that. And then OmniFocus goes and looks at that list and yanks it out and puts it into my inbox. So that's a really good workflow for me. Well, don't, and- you, have to, don't you have to use different syntax to send it to OmniFocus? No, um, you have you can have OmniFocus look at the basic reminders list, or you can have an OmniFocus list. But I just use the reminders list, mm. and it works just great. And I do that all the time. Another benefit of reminders is you can share them. Uh, this is another thing a lot of people don't realize exists. If you go to iCloud.com and look at your grocery list, uh, that's got the little sharing. You know, um, it looks like almost a radar thing you can tap on there, and you can share that list. So I've shared that list with my wife. And we have a shared grocery list. So if she goes to the grocery store, she can see the bratwurst on the list as well. And she can check it off. So all this stuff, you know, works really slick when you start playing with it. And frankly, using OmniFocus, using Checkmark, and and I think anything else is not going to hold a candle to how useful this stuff is to me. So I've got the Siri integration. I've got sharing with my wife. There's, There's just a lot of reasons and and sending it to OmniFocus very easily. So there's a lot of reasons for me to stick with the native reminders app. Well, and you said it, it. It's all about integration because not only with the iCloud sharing, but anything that can talk to reminders or anything that can talk to your iCloud database can share this. So even if you're using a third-party application like, say, Fantastical, which you can throw reminders in there, you can toss a reminder in there. Yeah. yeah. I, lo- I love Fantastical. I never use reminders in there. Okay. Well, because yeah. you have the Siri thing. Some of us don't have yeah. Siri. Now, yeah. here's a question that's a little bit off topic, but it's still related to Mountain Lion. How are you using reminders versus notes? I don't use notes at all. Okay. Because I, I was mean, thinking, here, here was the example. I use reminders, for example, like you do, for my grocery list, for the list of things I need to get at the home improvement store, you know, for my everyday checkmark list of, of things I've got to pick up around town. I don't remember what you called that. You had a good name for that. Yeah. But I Running was, list. Yeah. I was at my my brother. I was at my brother's house. We just moved him. Ironically, the morning we did Mac Power Users 100, so I I don't recommend that. But we were moving him, and I was helping him unpack and set up his new apartment last night. And I don't want to call them reminders because they weren't actually reminders. But I said, you know. Matt, we need to make a list of the stuff that we need to get for your apartment because you always find a a half dozen things. And I didn't want to put them on my reminders list. I just wanted to keep a running list similar of what I would keep on a notepad of we need to get you a shower caddy. We need to, uh, you know, get you this. We need to get you bumpers for your picture frames. We need to get you those furniture protectors. That's probably something that I would put in notes because I don't, it's not stuff that I'm going to go out and buy. Yeah, next time that I'm at the grocery store. I guess I could. Maybe I could be a nice sister. So you put that in notes. Maybe. So what I would do with that is this this fantastic drafts app. Have you ever played with that? I haven't. Oh, it's somebody awesome. somebody emailed and recommended it though. Yeah, I, I wrote it up at Max Parky just recently. Now they have an iPad version. So drafts is like very quick text entry on your iPhone. 
And once again, it works with Siri. You open a new note and just start talking. But you can type into that note too. And then from there, you just push a button and it can go to an email or it can go to an OmniFocus task. Or there's a lot of you know other apps that it talks to. But like if it was something for your brother, I would just start running a list during the day. And then at the end of the day, I would email him that list. And Yeah, and I mean, something for me long term is going to go in Evernote. But I, I would think of something for me that goes into the notes is exactly what I would use a little legal pad for. Something that I want to keep notes above and then rip off a piece of paper and hand it to somebody. Yeah. And that's, that's what drafts is for. In fact, after show 100, somebody was writing in saying, you know, Dave, you should replace your, um, your field notes with drafts. Well, I, I do use drafts, but I also still like my field notes. So we'll see. Well, hey, we've been going a while. We should probably take a, a break and talk about our next sponsor, Pixelmator. Okay. Well, they got a new version out. They do have it's a, a new lot version to talk out. about. Yeah, we wanted to talk about this last time they came out, and it, it just came out right after. Well, that. we knew about it, but it wasn't out yet. Yeah. Yeah. So the, they've got Retina. It's Retina ready. It looks great on the Retina Display MacBook Pro, which I'm very happy to report I, I can test for us. Um, one of the things I like it's got some new vintage, you know, um, filters. And, uh, you know, we for some reason in the Sparks residence, we have suddenly become really, you know, fixated with these vintage camera looks. Uh, I know it's a lot of fun to make make fun of this stuff, but for some reason, it's, I guess, we just like them. So and we go to Disneyland together a lot, we'll take pictures, and then we'll get home and start applying effects. Well, this stuff looks way better than what I'm able to do on the iPhone. They've got vintage miniaturization, which is the shift, the tilt shift, uh, black and white rain i mean it's just it looks great um uh the alignment guides are new and you know those alignment guides that makes up make us so happy when we're using like keynote, keynote? when you're trying to set yeah. things on yeah. now you've got them in your graphics app um it's fully compatible with mountain lion takes advantage of the mountain lion you know features right out of the box uh and this effects browser is really cool too um so when you apply an effect it does it real time to the image so you don't have to just see a little portion of it or wait for it to render. And this is really an advantage of Pixelmator in general because Pixelmator uses, you know, it's built for the Mac, so it uses all the Mac's processors, the both the graphics processor and the native um, chip, which means it, it runs wicked fast. And it just ties right into the OS X graphics, you know, procedures. Is that the right word? I guess not procedure. The, the OS X graphics support that Apple builds in. So it's it's very fast. And that allows you to, to preview these browser effects. Yeah, yeah I'm Pi a big fan. Pixelmator is awesome. And can you imagine getting a fully-fledged image editor for only 15 bucks? Yeah, And I being can't. able to install it on all of your Macs because you bought it through the Mac App Store. Yeah. I mean, you can yeah. do just about... All of your image editing. In fact, I do all of my image editing with Pixelmator. Yeah. If it's well, I, anything I, more than just a basic crop that I do in iPhoto, I open up the image with Pixelmator. Yeah, and I use Aperture, which has better tools than iPhoto, but it doesn't have all the tools Pixelmator does. So I, you know, that Pixelmator is my additional editor out of Aperture. And I'm looking forward to. Like I said, we just got back from vacation. I got some great pictures, and I'm going to have some fun with these in Pixelmator, and hopefully even be able to, to make one look nice enough to, to bring in the office. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. you should. I'm sure you'll find something. I bet you took a lot of pictures on vacation. Yeah, I went crazy. I brought the big boy camera. Yeah. Yeah, I got a Canon Rebel. Mm -hmm. It was fun. So Pixelmator is available exclusively through the Mac App Store. As we said, it is an amazing 
$14.99. You can pick it up. Not only can you use it to edit all of your image, but it's completely ready for Mountain Lion. It's got iCloud support built in. It's ready for the Retina MacBook Pro. So you're ready to go with Pixelmator. So pick it up and yeah. tell them we sent you. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so what about the share button? I've been uh, I've been using it. I think it's got a little bit of wonky behavior in some instances. Um, like when I I tried to uh, email, um, I, th- I think it was a web page to a colleague, and you can you can change the behavior, but. By default, when you email a web page to a colleague, it will either you can either email the entire like a clipping of the page, or you can email a link, or I don't remember what the other option is. But um, so some of that's a little bit weird. But other than that, I think it's a very easy way to to get stuff out. Yeah. So or, this or is the PDF. Little... PDF was the other option. Yeah. So this is the sharing button that we see on iOS again that has made its way over to the Mac and. This is a way to take out the desktop shuffle, you know. So usually you see something you like and you want to send it to someone. And you drag it to the desktop, then you open email, and then you drag that in as an attachment to email. So you've got a couple extra steps. Uh, With a sharing button, I mean, I think the the intention is you just tap that button and it gives you some, some abilities. Like in mine right now, I can send, I'm looking at a web page, I can send it to Twitter. I can send it as an instant message. I can email it. I can add a bookmark, and I can add to reading list. Uh, now, the behavior you were talking about is through email. And if you send it as an email, the default behavior is to send it as a web page. But when you're looking at the new message in mail, in the at the top of the message on the right side of the screen, it says send web content as colon, and it gives you a selector. You can send it as a web page, PDF, or link only. And now, I selected link only the first time I used it, and it's kept that behavior. So when I send somebody a link, I just send them a link. I don't send the whole page. Uh, and that's very nice. Um, I agree. Before I would do this using some some features through LaunchBar, you know, where you select a page and you command and and hold down the space bar, whatever your LaunchBar trigger key is, and then that gives you an option to move or send to someone. But I have to admit I've been using the um, the send to button quite a bit. I like it. Well, it's so busy. It's just... Built in. I mean, why would you not use it? Uh, the the one thing I don't like, and maybe I don't, maybe I'm just ignorant, but I don't think there's a way to trigger this with a keyboard command. You do have to touch the mouse, hit the button, then hit the selection. Uh, but I like it still, and I think non-power users are going to love this because it's very accessible to them. Uh, when you see a web page and you want to tweet it, or or you have a picture you want to send to someone, I mean, this is really in, going throughout the operating system. I think it's only going to get bigger. Uh, it's something you can rely upon to send files. Like having someone send me a file that's not, you know, a sophisticated computer user was always kind of iffy. But now if they have it on their desktop, I, I guess you can do it from the desktop, right? Let me see here. Well, you can you can do it from Quick Look for sure. If they yeah. Quick Look it, you can send it by email, message, airdrop, Twitter, Flickr. Yes, the only thing I wish, and I understand why Apple didn't do it, I really wish that I could add services to that. I mean, I, I, yeah. get, I get why they didn't. I would love to add Instapaper to it, send this to, especially for web pages. And I understand that that's not appropriate in all cases, but send this to Instapaper. Send this to Dropbox. You know. Send it to Pixelmator. Yeah, send it to Pixelmator, whatever. Yeah. 
I agree. That would be nice. Hopefully they get there. Yeah, but you know, then the question is, how do you control what's going in there, and how do you keep that list from being twenty items long? Well, we're, we're Mac users. We're smart. We could, you know, if you give us a way, like just like they do with the notifications in there, you can pick what goes there and what doesn't. Give the user control. Yeah, I mean, like personally, I don't use Flickr. I would never send anything to Flickr. I'd turn that off. Or throw up a dialogue. Do you want to add this to your, you know, sharing button? Right. What do you think about the calendar? I didn't see a whole lot of changes to calendar, except that it's no longer called iCal. Yeah. The, um, the, uh, it's got a couple things that are, are better. The, uh, creating a new event, I call it Fantastical Light. So mm-hmm. when you're it in the calendar. It seems to have gotten smarter. Yeah. So when you start typing in description, you hit the plus uh, icon button, top left corner, and start typing in the description of an event, it will kind of do like Fantastical, use some smart, uh, smarts to try and parse the text. Uh, the problem is you don't get to see what the event is until after you've typed it all in and you're not sure if it got it right. And then you've got to go in and kind of do the tedious process of editing it. Whereas with Fantastical, you get to see everything generate as you write it. So it's much easier to fix. Yeah. Just um, get Fantastical. You'll be easier. Now the yeah. big change graphically is that you do now get to see your calendars on the left-hand side where you didn't yeah. necessarily before. Yeah. And you've got the, um, the search tokens, which I think are kind of cool, you know, oh, that's so, true. you know, that, that was new, I believe to Apple mail in line was where we first started really seeing this stuff work. And so you can start typing an event, you know, you say event contains the word in my life trial, you know, and then, and then you can, you can add to that and include people or whatever. So it's the search tokens are a nice addition to the calendar. I haven't found much use for them just yet, but uh, I like the fact that they're there, and I'd like to see that continue in the operating system. Contacts is another area that, again, got a name change, got a few updates. I did like the fact that they brought back the three-panel view to Contacts. Oh, yeah, it's a huge improvement. Because, because it was be- it was really difficult to navigate before. Yeah, because you had to, like, turn the page to get to the actual contact before. And then you might be in one list and not even realize it because it wasn't on the page. I, I think that the Lion Contacts app was a, really a step back. It was, and I'm, absolutely. And, and frankly, Mountain Lion is an improvement over Lion, but I'm not sure it's as good as we had it back in Snow Leopard. Yeah. And there's some things I like about calendar integration. Like, for instance, the um, what do you call the feature when you're in an email and you detect a contact and data and, data detectors yeah data the data detectors are better and they're smarter and it lets you make adjustments back in the snow leopard days you would you basically had to take what they gave you and then go into the contacts app and open the contact and make changes it's a lot more fluid now where you can make changes to the contact data as you capture it i would consider that a feature of contacts yeah i think that but, happened in lion though yeah it did it got better in line too but there, there are things about it that have improved but you know the skeuomorphic um calendar book is totally useless. I mean, why do I need staples in this page? Because that's what calendar books look like. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm cranky on that one. Well, you also don't like the little tattered page in the calendar. That makes me crazy. In fact, I think it got a little better, didn't it? Let me open it up. No, I don't know, but you know, there. there's a terminal command you can use to get rid of that. Yeah, I refuse to do that too, though, because then 
spending the only thing worse than complaining about it is spending time dealing with that. I mean, I think you've that, spent more I, time complaining about it on the show. Yeah, than you're you know to what? Fix it. <laughs> I think you're right. And like probably secrets probably has a way to just fix it with one button. But anyway, if I, if I got rid of it, then I wouldn't have anything to complain about. So I'll leave it there. All right. Um, Apple mail. Let's okay. talk about Apple mail. I am kind of disappointed. I had great expectations for Apple mail and mountain lion. And I think it turned out to be a dud. Oh, really? In what way? I was thrilled about this whole VIP list because you have been on me forever about you got to turn off your notifications. You got to turn off your notifications. You're never going to get anything done if you have your notifications turned on. Yeah. I'm sorry. That was my horrible impression of you. I know. It's kind of made me sad. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, but I can't turn off all my notifications. That's just not the way that my world works. So. Yeah. I was really looking forward to VIP to say, okay, I really want to turn off a lot of my notifications. And I'm really looking forward to VIP in iOS 6 because especially after 5 p.m., I want to turn off a ton of my notifications because you know what? I don't answer work-related email after 5 p.m. unless, you know, you're the boss of me. So I thought VIP was going to be the way that I could turn off all of my notifications unless you were someone that was designated as my VIP, in which case I would want to see that email and respond to you. But the VIP feature turned out to be so useless to me that like, for example, David, if I set you as a VIP and I not only get what I want to see is I want it to be kind of like Google priority inbox. I want to see the new messages that you've sent me, the unread messages that you've sent me that I have to deal with apart from everything else in my inbox, because I, I use an inbox zero philosophy, but I clear my inbox out by the end of every day. But during the day, there may be stuff in it, but I don't go home until it's cleared out by the end of the day. And with VIP, if I look in that VIP inbox to try to prioritize and see what I need to respond to, I don't just see the message that you sent me an hour and a half ago. I see every single message you've ever sent me, which is a lot. A lot. Does that not happen to you? Yeah, I'm just looking. I think there's a way to, to fix that. Okay. Well, it needs to get fixed. No, I think there's a way to turn that. I think I turned it off on my laptop where I just get, and I'm trying to figure out where I did it at. Because on my laptop, I just see. Well, we'll, we'll look at that. And if we can find it, we'll, we'll, we'll put the link in the show I'm almost certain you can fix that. Yes. And then, and I, I think it's pretty now, nice. Someone, can, someone sent us in a tip to work around it by using smart folders as opposed to VIPs. Yeah, so new new mess in the general settings, you can say new message notifications only for VIPs. And I've had message notifications turned off forever, right. and now I've turned them on for just VIPs. Right, which is what I and wanted to works, do. And but, it works great with Notification Center. But then I get this little VIP mailbox that has every single email that David Sparks has ever sent me. I thought I had a way to turn that off. And hmm. we're, we're trying to record this show in a way that we don't have a bunch of breaks. So, <laughs> Cause we you know, I'm going to look into that, gang, and I will, uh, I will do a post or we'll follow up on this. Because I think I might be just full of, full of you know what, but we'll get back to that. We'll okay. get back to that. You could make it. One, one solution is to make a smart mailbox, but I know that's not what you want. That's not what I want. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. But what else about mail? What do, what do you like about mail? Well, you've got more complaints here. You say exchange issues. Oh, I have. I have had exchange issues because we use an exchange server at work. And it used to be almost instantaneous that 
my iPhone and my iPad are still instantaneous that as soon as I get an email from work, they'll ding and that will pop up. Yeah. But it can take 10 or 15 minutes for my emails to show up and update in my exchange inbox on Apple Mail. Very and that's just brand new. And since you did the install, since I did the, well, I say yeah, since I did the upgrade to Mountain Line. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. I, I don't. You know, we don't have Exchange in that. Our Exchange is so old that I couldn't tell you. <laughs> but the, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, to, well, I guess we'll have to hear from people if that's a common problem. I, I'll tell you, I like some of the additions. They brought back the send from trick. That's true. Which, that is a good one. You know, and that's where you can have a keyboard combination to change the send from email address. So if I'm sending an email address from MaxSparky.com, it does that. If I'm sending one from Mac.com, it does that. So very quickly using my fingers, I can change the send from. I did a short screencast on that. I'll go ahead and put that in the show notes. Um, and, you know, overall, I'm I'm okay with, you know, the, the big change to Apple Mail took place in Lion. Um, I still am not real happy with the full screen compose window. Mm-hmm. which is very limiting when you compose a, a message in full screen mode of Apple mail, you cannot get into your existing mailboxes to see the stuff. So the trick is to create the message in a new, in a new view, which is all kind of goofy. I, I don't know why they did that, but uh, that was a problem in line. It's still a problem in mountain line. Uh, but overall, I don't have that many complaints with the new mail and I like the new send from trick. I guess the new old, send the from old trick. send from trick that now works yeah. again. Yeah. Okay, uh, dictation is a new feature, and uh, I'm a big fan of it. You know, I, I think the more people that start using dictation, the better. It's a it's a super useful way of getting information into your computer. And now they've taken away all the excuses because you don't have to go buy Dragon. You can just use it right built into your computer. All right, seriously, are you going to say that as Max Sparky Power Dictation user that Mountain Lion Dictation is a replacement for Dragon Dictation? No, I didn't say that. I just okay. said, if you want to get started, it's right okay, there. Okay, get started. All right. I, I didn't you mean know. to put words in your mouth. I apologize. Yeah. So it, it, it's definitely not as good as Dragon. So there, there's kind of a spectrum there. Dragon Dictate is the, you know, the granddaddy. And it's a great application. I think it's about 200 bucks. Um, and and that they've got is the w- Express version, I think, on the App Store for about 50 or so, right? Yeah, but <laughs> Dragon Express isn't working in Mountain Lion. Oh, that's right. That's I mean, right. It's, I can't believe they're selling it in the App Store, and it's not working in the current version of the operating system. I, I'm kind of disappointed. I wish they would, would take care of that. And uh, so, so I bought the Dragon Express because one of the things I liked about it was it had a dedicated dictation window. Whereas when you use drag and dictate, you end, I ended up dictating wherever I'd move the mouse if I forgot to turn the microphone off, which really isn't that big of a problem. But anyway, so, so the spectrum drag and dictate is the, is the biggest and strongest. Then there's drag and express, which doesn't work in mountain line currently as we record this. And then there's line dictation and line dictation definitely is not up to snuff with these other two applications, which cost a lot of money. But it's a way to dictate quickly. And there's some things about it that I really like. Um, it works in any box, text box on your Mac. Uh, it works actually pretty decently with the built-in mic. I, I've been testing it with that, and it's not terrible. I mean, if you use a headset mic, it's way better. Um, I like the way that you activate it. You hit the function key twice, boom, boom, and then you start talking. Um, and then when you're done, you hit the function key again, and it sends it up. And that's the part that gets people in trouble is that it sends it up. So 
It's and not you can, like drive. You can change that key, by the way. In fact, I had to change it for because some reason my external keyboard doesn't have a function key, or it's I can't find it. It's not where it's supposed to be. Isn't okay. that weird? Yeah, that is weird. It's not an Apple keyboard, right? No, I use like a Microsoft keyboard or something. No, 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 no. Oh, oh, I found the function key. It's just not where it's supposed to be. I use the DOS keyboard. Okay. You, can you hear it? Yeah, now I can. Yeah. Okay, so the thing with this in Mountain Lion is that they don't install the software on your Mac to do all the hard work of figuring out what you're saying. It goes up to presumably the nuanced servers, the same people who make Dragon Dictate, and their hey. servers parse it out and send it back to you as text. And as far as we can tell, it starts sending it up as soon as you start talking, but you don't right. see the results of that until you finish the dictation. So where Dragon puts the words up on the screen as you say them, and you can follow along, uh, Mountain Lion dictation, you know, listens to you and spits back some spits back some text to you. Sometimes it works, sometimes it's not so good. I think this is a great first start. Uh, it obviously follows in the steps of Siri or dictation or whatever you want to call it because we have dictation on the iPad but not Siri. Um, I tend to sit a little, when I'm sitting at my desk, I tend to sit a little further back from my computer because I've got a big external monitor, so my computer's probably about three feet away from me. And it still works, but I find that I have to make an effort to project my voice and speak louder and differently than I normally would. So I'm not using dictation very much, and it's frustrating for me because when I dictate, I want to dictate a paragraph or multiple paragraphs at a time. And I'm finding that I'm only getting a couple of sentences out before it stops and I've got to let go. Yeah, see, that's the other thing. Because it's sending it up to the internet, it only captures so much before it stops. Right. Whereas with Dragon Dictate, you can just go. And I guess I'm but, not real clear on when you're working on a Mac, and certainly hard drive space is an issue, particularly when you're dealing with maybe the lower-end MacBook Airs and you've got these SSDs, because I think an install of, of Dragon Dictation, and I, I don't know about Dragon Express, but certainly an install of Dragon Dictation, you know, once you get their library and their training and all, you're, you're talking a gig or more, and which is why I say it's a good first start, but why is it sending it up to the cloud? Why can't it do some training and then keep the database on your Mac? Why do I have to have an internet connection to dictate? Yeah, the... Um... Yeah, it's about a gig. It looks to me like I'm just looking at my data files and drag and dictate. I haven't got them all added up quickly. But yeah, so I, I would suspect that may be a licensing thing. I mean, th I don't think That's this is my Apple guess technology. As well. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Nuance, who makes Dragon, and frankly, I think makes the best dictation engine of anything out there. I mean, I'm sure that they're using the data they get from all this dictation that's coming up from the iPhone and the iPad and the Mac through this stuff to make the engine better. So there's an advantage for them to see it. Um, I, I guess they've got the processing there already. I, I imagine that, you know, having a dictation application always ready to go built into the operating system is going to be a huge drain on resources. And for some people who are never going to want to dictate, it's going to make them really angry. So I can think of a lot of reasons why they did it this way, uh, but I stand behind it. I, I think if you want to get into dictation, this is a great point of entry, and it doesn't cost you anything. No doubt, and it, and, no doubt. And it does recognize a lot of the commands you use, like all caps and new paragraph and new line, all the stuff that you do with Dragon Dictate, you're going to learn those habits here. And frankly, 
um, you have to dictate differently than you normally speak. If I were trying to run dictation software on the way I've been, you know, sliding through this whole podcast today, uh, it'd be terrible because I haven't really been very good about my diction. Um, when I dictate for a computer, I'm much more careful, you know, best piece of advice I can give you on this. Here's a free one. Just, just figure out your sentences in advance, dictate a whole sentence at a time. Don't get halfway through a sentence and stop and figure out how you're going to finish it. That's a recipe for disaster with dictation software, no matter which one you buy. And if you're going to get serious about it, go spend 15 bucks on a headset microphone. And I get really sloppy because I dictate to a secretary at work. And boy, you can be sloppy then because you can say, hey, you know that file that we're working on with that guy who did that thing? Yeah, that one. This is on that file. Yeah. You can't. Uh, a related subject is the uh, the voices. You know, the the speech voices on the Mac got way better in Lion, and they a bunch of them got updated. So if you go into what is it preferences, system preferences, how is it accessibility? I now I forget where you find it. I think it. it's in uh, dictation and speech under text oh, to yeah, speech. Duh, yep. Duh. And you've got. Um, Kathy, Vicky, Victoria, Alex, Bruce, and Fred by um, by default, and then you can go into customize and add a whole whole bunch of others. You can yeah, get Spanish voices, Turkish voices, uh, Russian voices, Romanian, Portuguese. I mean, I downloaded the um, South African female voice. I'm thinking about you know recording my message for my office on it. She sounds Tessa? yeah, she sounds classy. She is she going to be your new voicemail attendant? Yeah, why not? <laughs> You've reached the voicemail of David. Yeah. yeah, anyway. So there's some good ones on here. Well, like if you just went and saw the new Pixar movie, you know, you can download the Scottish one. Very cool. English, Scottish, Fiona. Her name's Fiona, of course. These are big files, though. If you're going to do it, make sure you've got the drive space. So you don't want me to download Tessa while we're podcasting? No, and we were just talking to our listener in Show 100 about you Michelle. Know, having it... Yeah, read back. Um, yeah, Michelle Mudo was talking about how she has it read back to her. You can set this up with your Apple script so you can listen to different voices. Was Tessa the one she liked? I don't know. I know. I thought, no, she liked Serena. Yeah, there you go. From the United Kingdom. So there you go. Class the join up, as they say. Uh, security. Yes. Changes. Yeah. One of the big features that I've liked is, you know, since Lion, we've had the ability to encrypt backup disks particularly external backup disks, which was great for, you know, like the super duper backup that I've got it on my USB hard drive and things like that. And since Lion, you could encrypt your time machine backups. But what you couldn't do is encrypt time machine backups that were stored on a network drive like a time capsule. That to me always seemed to be the missing link. Now, if someone was going to break into my house and steal something, I don't know that the average thief would know that a time capsule was a valuable thing to take. But it makes me feel better having all of my backups encrypted on my time capsule now. Yeah. So I've gone back and turned that on. Now, to have the full benefit of it, I had to nuke my backups and start from scratch to totally encrypt my backups. Yeah. But it was okay. Well, there's a lot of data there, so it's not a bad idea. And then there's the whole thing about gatekeeper and you know sandboxing and all these new things. 
Yeah, we could, I mean, we could talk forever about that. The one point that I wanted to raise there is I've actually kept mine at the default level, which is Mac App Store and approved developers, because that allows all the developers that have signed it. I have run into a few issues with some developers of even current software that have not, you know, done whatever they need to do to sign their apps. And honestly, I kind of like knowing when that happens because it makes me go, hmm, what's up with this developer? Why haven't they gotten their act together and done that? But there is a neat trick that if you've got an app, you know it's okay, you feel comfortable using it, if you right-click on it and tell it to open, it will bypass Gatekeeper. And the best way that this was explained to me is Gatekeeper is actually like a gate. Envision it like a gate. Once you're in the gate, you're in. So once it's been opened and run, you don't have to worry about it. So once you've just bypassed it the first time you're in. So you can leave it at the default setting, and then you just get a little notification when you're not you're outside it. And if you trust the app, right click and open it, and you're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. I think that's a really nice feature. And I guess we'll leave the whole sandboxing talk to another day. Yeah. Um, um, Fi- File Vault is still great. I mean, I think that was a really nice addition to Lion. Yeah, I don't know if they've made any changes, but it's still excellent. And I haven't noticed any. Um, any slowdown in my system, and I've got it turned on on all my systems. Yeah. The uh, the one downside to File Vault, and you know, it's like anything, convenience versus security, is your Mac, uh, like on my Mac Mini, for example, that's on my my home server. I've got File Vault enabled in that, which maybe I really don't need to because I don't have a ton of data on that. But the only problem is that if that Mac ends up restarting, like due to a power failure or due to a um, you know software update or something like that. I can't remotely get to it because obviously the file system's locked down. So I've got to manually be, phys- I have to be physically present to log into it before I can then access it. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's a small price to pay. Well, overall, I'm happy with Mountain Lion. I, I was running the betas, you know, not so secretly. And yeah. so I've been using it for a while and it's, I think it was a really stable operating system upgrade. I've had no problems. I've upgraded four computers, all of the computers in my home. And I've had no troubles. And I haven't really read much on the internet about people having troubles with it. And I, I like notifications and I like the sharing. There's there's several things about it that, that make it worth the upgrade. And uh, I'm in favor of it. Yeah. Well, we have got a ton of feedback because it's it's been collecting here for a while. I'm not sure if we'll get to all of it. But before we even try, uh, let's talk about our last sponsor for today. And that is Drobo. So, David, I know you got a new Drobo FS. Are you digging it? Yeah, totally. It's great. You know, we've got the whole family. Uh, it's, it's serving up data to the whole family. Yeah. So how are you using your Drobo FS? What are you keeping on there? Uh, we've got the iTunes library on it. You know, we've got it attached. We've got like a, a central iMac. It's okay. kind of the family iMac. And so the FS is plugged into the airport. And then the iMac as well is plugged directly into the airport because they're right next to each other. So I've got a great fast connection to that drive. And I, I've got the uh, Aperture library on there. I've got the, um, the, the iTunes library on there. And the iTunes library is huge for us because we've been, you know, ripping our DVDs since we started buying DVDs. And, and it's great. It just fits right in, you know. And, and, it's a, and it's basically a file server for the family, too. So we've got a folder on it for each person. And then so the laptops can have their own little, you know, kind of local file storage. Yeah. And the beauty about the Drobo is you've got, you can mix and match your drives. So as you've got these drives available, 
you can pop them into your Drobo. So what Drobo does, particularly the Drobo FS, is it will connect to your computer, in the case of the other model Drobos, or your network, in the case of the Drobo FS, and it will provide you with redundant data protection, but without all of the complexities of this traditional RAID. So you've got a free SATA drive, you pop it in, and Drobo will automatically do the calculations and grow to expand at any time. And Drobo is smart. It will either, by default, it's configured so that it can survive up to one hard drive failure, or if you're a little more paranoid, you can tell it, hey, I want dual disk redundancy. And Drobo will protect all of your data, even in the event of up to two simultaneous hard drive failures. If you want to go crazy, you configure your Drobo up to 36 terabytes, depending on the model, using any combination of 3.5 or 2.5-inch SATA drives for the Drobo. So uh, they've got new versions. They'll work over Thunderbolt. They'll work over USB. They'll work over Ethernet. They'll work over um, uh, Firewire. I mean, you name it, Drobo supports it. And they've got yeah, these brand new Drobo Minis and Drobo 5Ds, so you can take your data anywhere, or you can access it through Thunderbolt. They're just those are pretty fancy. Yeah, the Drobo Mini looks cool. So it's got Thunderbolt and USB 3.0 connectivity, and you can use the smaller size laptop size drives. You can throw some solid state drives in there, and you'd have just a smoking fast storage. Yeah, for someone who needs to do video editing on the go or somebody who really needs to take a lot of data with them on the go, uh, the Drobo Mini is just an amazing product that was, there's nothing else like it available that I can find. Yeah, and the Drobo 5D also includes um, uh, Thunderbolt and USB 3.0. So you can get a really fast connection with this sucker. Right. So they've got a ton of different options available. You can head over to Drobo.com, see what they've got, see what's going to suit your needs. But you can use the Drobo a lot like David and I do, and it's just a single repository for all of your data. And you know that it's going to be protected because you know Drobo's watching out for you, and it's, it's going to protect your data. Yeah. So thanks, Drobo, for supporting the podcast. And everybody go check it out. If you do get one from them, please let them know you heard about them from us. All right, we got lots of feedback, so uh, let's just start cracking on it, and we'll see how far we get. I don't know if we're going to get through all of it tonight. All right. Maybe. maybe We got a a couple questions about Show 100 and how we were managing all those guests. Uh, We weren't. George Starcher was. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we had a a separate (laughs) Skype account, and we had the guests in basically a Skype call with George, and then George would hand them over to us as we got to it. So that that was the uh, tech behind that. Yeah, basically, David and I recorded our show as as normal, but we had George set up on a separate account with uh, we a lot of pre-planning involved, a lot of pre-planning with the guests. They knew when to call in. They had an outline. They knew who was up first, who was up second, who was coming up next. They knew what the schedule was when they were on deck, so to speak, to use a baseball term. They'd call into George. George would do a mic check with them, make sure that everything was functioning the way that it should. George would be, you know, talking with them in one ear and listening to the show in the other. You know, George would find out when we were wrapping up with another guest. I'd send George a message, you know, okay, we're ready. Just as we're wrapping up with one guest, he'd send us over another. So we we got the hang of it. It was pretty seamless. Yeah, the, the one problem was we wanted the guests to record themselves, like with Piezo or Skype call recorder, so we could have a source recording of each guest but with the guest jumping between calls a lot of times that didn't happen you know right and uh so if we were to do it over again we'd probably try and figure out a better solution for that but the show sounded great so yeah it did what we ended up doing is we ended up using the show um if you listen to show 100 we actually that was actually 
captured off of our backup Skype recording. So you may hear a few Skype hiccups in that call. But, oh, yeah. my goodness, for eight guests plus us, I, I mean, I was thrilled with the way it turned out quality-wise. I mean, the, the content was amazing of that show. We have some wicked smart listeners. Okay, so we also, now moving on, we, we heard a lot about the Kyle Weens episode, you know, where Kyle was talking about, you know, the battery technologies and the Apple MacBooks. So that, that got a lot of people going, you know. I think in a about, good way. I think it got a lot of people thinking. Yeah, so... And and Kyle had talked about, hey, you know, you're going to have to replace the battery in your MacBook Pro Retina several times, and they don't make it easy, and you got to go to them. I, you know, I, once again, you know, I guess the fanboy label applies. I, I'm okay with going and paying Apple to put a new battery in, and frankly, I'm okay with taking a dead laptop back to Apple. But I completely understand what he's saying about is everybody going to do that, and where are these laptops going to end up? And uh, that's some good questions. I thought that was a good show. But we, we definitely pushed a lot of buttons for people as well. Yeah. I mean, some people said, no, you don't need a new battery every ten year, every two years. I mean, the MacBook Airs and the MacBook Pros are designed to deliver up to 1,000 charge cycles. And a charge cycle is a full charge cycle. So if you run it down a third of the way, you know, you can run it down a third of the way two more times before you reach a full charge cycle. So Apple's battery technology has definitely come a long way. I personally haven't had to replace a battery in a long time. Now, part of that is I don't keep my machines as long as I used to. I tend well, to but, keep my but machines about 18 months to two years. But That's that's correct, though, because we in our, our the Sparks house, you know, the machines get cycled. You right. know, and uh, we've got some MacBooks that are probably about five years old now. Their batteries are, are gone. But that is actually before the better battery technologies. Now, the 13-inch MacBook Air, which is now about two years old, uh, my daughter got that and that's doing just fine on the battery. So that, that's a machine I used extensively for two years and the battery's doing just fine. I, I don't know how much life is left in it. I haven't run a battery monitor on it at some time, but it seems like it's not, you know, in need of a new battery, but I guess it depends. Your mileage may vary depending on how you run the machine. Right. Um, we also got, um, uh, talk uh, some email and about the fact of you know co- uh, recycling products and I think someone wrote in saying I didn't make it clear enough that Apple will recycle these products and I thought I did but if I didn't you know absolutely any Apple product you can take into the Apple store and they will uh, responsibly recycle it right and we did have a couple of people write in and say you know we, we're such an advocate of donating or selling your old Mac. And But be careful of that because there's some security risk associated with that because you've got data on these old machines and you need to be careful about that. And I guess we didn't touch on it in that particular episode, although we certainly have touched on it at length in previous episodes, that if you use a service like Gazelle, they will wipe your Mac for you. But I will tell you that my policy is before a computer leaves my hands, that hard drive is either getting pulled and staying with me and a new drive getting installed or that hard drive is getting a very high level, either a seven pass or even sometimes, what is the next higher level? Is it 35? It's getting at least a seven pass wipe. Now that may be incredibly excessive and incredibly paranoid, but that's me. But that's how we roll. That's how we roll. So (laughs) before I donate or sell or even recycle a computer, I'm either pulling the drive or I'm doing a secure erase of the drive, just because you never know where that stuff goes. In fact, I had a I had a hard drive recently that was giving me some problems and was dying. And before I threw it away, or recycled it rather, I should say, I didn't actually throw it away, but before I discarded it, I did a seven-pass erase of it, and this was probably a little excessive, 
and then I, you know, took it out back with a hammer and anyway, you know, I got to, I got to do that once. We had a case that had some very sensitive data at the end. We had this extra drive and I didn't want to throw it away. So I zeroed the drive out with the multi-pass and because I have a wood shop and I always wanted to do this, <laughs> I took, I took a nail gun and I fired like three nails through the drive. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Man, that's like, nobody's reading that sucker. <laughs> that was kind of fun, actually. You didn't think zeroing it out and reusing the drive was an option? Well, I just always wanted to fire a nail gun through a drive. So I guess some dark part of me enjoyed that. Uh, we got an email in from Hunter, and, uh, and Hunter's a really smart guy. I've corresponded with him in the past. And uh, he says, for the sake of nerd completeness, I thought you might like to know that geofencing tech is actually called region monitoring in that's the true. API. And see, I didn't even know that. I think Scott Forstall called it uh, geofencing, and I just love that term so much. I just latched onto it. And yeah, go for he, it. He says it started in iOS four, and I, I think I remember talk of it in iOS four, but I never saw it really used. And uh, now it works great. It's in iOS five and iOS six. I think it'll even get better. And we we, we covered that in my discussion of reminders earlier in the show. I talked about my tale of woe with Super Duper and Carbon Copy Cloner and, you know, kind of the, and, and to be very clear, it was not an issue with either Super Duper or a Carbon Copy Cloner issue. It was an issue that I had where I had a drive that was physically failing and I ended up with corrupt data on it. But it, it prompted Christian to write in and say, Katie, why are you talking about cloning drives and using all of this various software? Why don't you also just use the one hit wonder Chronosync? And you know, I guess I didn't even think about that, but Chronosync does have the ability to create a bootable backup. I'm just, it, it's a little fidgety to do it, but you certainly can. And I, I just thought this was a good reminder of, gosh, Chronosync can do a lot of stuff. And you buy it once yeah. and you can use it forever. It's a great little app. Yeah, it is. It so. is. Well, hey, that's enough feedback. I think we've we've hit it. Uh, we'll get more. We've in the got next a lot show. more. We've got a lot more. So we'll 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 save some some of the rest of it for a for a future show. Um, we do have just a few housekeeping things um, that that we need to follow up in the last. I think it was show ninety nine, maybe it was show ninety eight or ninety seven. Uh, we talked about this, you know, airing this possibility of doing transcripts of the show with some kind of premium membership type thing or some kind of subscription because we had a lot of email from people who were interested in, let me get transcripts of the show. So what we did is... Well, we, let's, let's be clear. We're never doing premium memberships. But yeah, we were saying if you, right. if you want to buy a transcript and get on the list, you know, let us know. Right. So we could, we could gauge the interest and see how interested people really were of us taking the time and, more importantly, the, investing the money and sending out all of our Mac Power user shows um, to somebody to, to create transcripts of and then, you know email them off to, to people who had paid for the service. And I, I set up a Google, what's it called, a, a, a Google list and asked people for feedback. And we, we got a lot of interesting feedback about that. Overwhelmingly, the feedback we got, though, is there were, I, I don't want to say a handful because it was more than a handful, but there were a number of people who were very, very interested in this idea and really, really wanted it. But they were definitely the minority. And it was certainly not enough to, to to even come close to covering the costs for what something like this would cost. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's really not going to happen. Um, we had a lot of people, though, say, don't really need transcripts. What we need are more detailed show notes. And I just wanted to take this opportunity to point out, guys, we got a wiki. Right? Yeah. Is anybody using our wiki? 
No, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, Somebody do a, a wiki entry on this show. I don't think there's ever been one on any of our shows. I haven't really tracked it that closely. And, and, and I should do a better job on the show notes. So I'm trying. I'm trying, gang. Yeah. The problem is I just get so much into the show that I um that sometimes I forget. And then we also had a lot of people who say, I'm not really interested, but I would do it just as a way to support Mac Power users. And we really appreciate that. That's very, very kind. Um, but obviously if there's not enough people to who really want the transcript to support it, it's not something that we can really justify doing. But there are lots of ways you can support us, like, you know, iTunes comments and telling a friend and subscribing and you know, other, other geeky things. And there's actually a link on our website about all the ways that you can support us. So you can, you can check that out. Okay. So how do you get a hold of us? Well, you can uh, find links that David lovingly handcrafted for our show notes over at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU, including a link to that wiki, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you can send us an email to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. Yeah. We're on Twitter. The show's at MacPowerUsers. I'm at Katie Floyd, and David is at Max Sparky. Yep. And, um, and thank you for the sponsors today. So that was 1Password, Drobo, and Pixelmator for supporting the show. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah, and hey, everybody, if, you're, if you've got the 5x5 app, turn on the notifications for Mac Power users because we're going to start doing more live shows. It's a lot of fun. That's true. Turn them on. All right. Take care. 